BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. Hey guys, welcome back to the Art of Craftsmanship podcast. My name is Dustin O'Hara, and I'm here with my brother and co-host, Devin. Hello. And we're joined by the always amazing and uh, prevalent on YouTube, Brian House. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> Good, man. How are you? Oh, it's another day in paradise. Hey, Florida. Yeah. That's it. All right, Dev. What All you right. got for us? Your lack of dedication is an insult to those who believe in you. Ooh. <laughs> is that go. directly to Brian? <laughs> it's making me feel guilty. Yeah, I just made that one up just specifically for Brian. No, um, <laughs> It's because I think it's the opposite of what Brian does and what is. He doesn't have a lack of dedication, as we can see through his channel and his podcast and his, his your companies, your computer company. It seems to be that whatever you decide to put your mind to and start doing, you try to do it well and you try to uh, finish it, complete it. You don't have a lack of dedication. Well, man, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. I, I have so many unfinished projects that you haven't seen. So you know, I'll, I'll take that in. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll still take the compliment, though. I, <laughs> yeah, I, I think, actually, I, think, I, I, I actually wanted to uh, I, because you guys do a quote on it on your podcast. I was like, you know what? I want to do a quote too, and I was wondering if that would be okay. Uh, you, uh, no, you want to do one right not. now? I want to do one right now. <laughs> just get sure. it out of the way. I'm, I'm a little nervous reading it, but it's uh, only like it. only if it's directly aimed towards me personally. It, it might. <laughs> it, it definitely does include you because you're on planet Earth. So if you can imagine, there's a there's a picture from the Voyager One spacecraft, and it went out. Uh, it was exiting our solar system in 1990. And the Earth is four billion miles away in this image. So it's just like a big black picture with a little tiny dot and the quote is look again at that dot that there that's home that's us 
on it is everyone you love, everyone you know, and everyone you've ever heard of. Every human being, whoever was, lived out their lives there. The aggregate of our joy and suffering, thousands of confident religions, ideologies, and economic doctrines, every hunter and forager. Whew, man, this is a long one. <laughs> you got oh, it. Here we go. Every hero, every coward, every creator and destroyer of civilizations, every king, every peasant, every young couple in love, every mother and father, hopeful child, inventor, and explorer, every teacher of morals, every corrupt politician, every superstar, another breath, oh, here we go, <laughs> every supreme leader, every saint and sinner in history of our species lived there on a moat dust suspended in a sunbeam. Any guesses as to who said it? Uh, Carl Sagan. You got it. <clears throat> Dang. Oh. Nailed it. <laughs> nice. Yeah. That sounded like one of his man. things. I, I could hear his voice. Oh, man. I, I was I trying to get that out. I was just like. Yeah, no wonder a, you were nervous. <laughs> oh, like, I got to read this whole thing on my phone. And then. But it's such a powerful. Yeah. In, in times like right now, when we've got so much division mm -hmm. in what everybody thinks and how they feel and everyone's trying to like push and pull and you should follow what I'm doing and yep. you should like my politician and you should do all this stuff. It's like, if you look at this little dot from 4 million miles away, everybody who's ever lived on earth all lived and died there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You, uh, it's, you had, <clears throat> there was no lack of dedication to that quote you just gave there. Man, I did it. All right, I'm done now. All right, I'll see you guys later. No. Yeah, right, and that's it. Thanks so much. Yeah, we, how do we follow that up? No, it's it's funny because you said like in this time of division, you know, there's such that as you're reading that, that's exactly what I was thinking. Like every every bad person, every good person, every We're you know here. inventor, and you know someone who hasn't given anything to the world. You know, yeah. everyone has been there. Everyone who's ever lived, and everyone who will ever live in our world is on that little TV spec. I get a little bit of that feeling even when I'm just up in a plane, right? You take off and everything's medium and then you keep going up and you're like, well, we're really high, but you're only like 2000 feet. And then by the time you're at uh, a cruising height, everything looks very small. You see mm -hmm. full farms, full mountains, especially when I went on my honeymoon and we flew from uh, Paris to Rome, just going over the Alps. Oh, wow. You know, you, it's like, it's like a half an hour and you're over it. So, this huge mountain range that everyone knows of they're just a little little speck below you and it doesn't seem yeah. like much but it would take you thing. months to walk across that right and right, you yeah. just fly over it in 10 minutes you know so yeah if you're not if you're not uh doing something on this this planet you're a you're an insult to those who believe in you man so. I love that. <laughs> that's a good yeah right <laughs> yeah yeah well, how you, <clears throat> how do you make your mark i think that's a good uh a good lead in i mean that's what that's what we're all doing i mean i think whether or not that's completely, uh, like, idealistic or um, selfish, you know, something something about what we do and as creators, uh, and you know, obviously, yeah, YouTube content creators and podcast creators, I think we have a little bit of that there. Like, what are we leaving behind? Um, and I think that's that's where like Devin's uh, 
comment and the quote and how he talked about how what you put your, you know, you're dedicated to those things that you do. And, uh, and you do, you come across in this way that's like very complete and finished. So he said, you've got these little things behind the scenes that aren't finished and obviously you're always working. So we know those things are happening, but you, you have that, like you come across as each thing you do, you do it to completion and you do it fully and you do invest yourself completely in it while it's happening. And it's, yeah. you know, that's, that's awesome. My first wife would say that was uh, was one of the things that she didn't like about me because I I would go and and no no I love my first wife she's a great right. person and she she would she would say you would pick something and then you would obsess about it mm-hmm. for like a year and you would just <laughs> dive in with both feet and you'd do it for however long it took you and then you would you know just hammer it out every day you wouldn't sleep you wouldn't eat that's all you would do. And then one day you'd be over it and be done and then you'd move on to the next thing. And I always thought it was like a, a negative trait, you know, of, of someone who gets so obsessed about a certain thing and then just hammers away at it for a while and then walks away uh, because people would say, oh, you're so fickle. You change a lot. You're doing this. You're right. doing that. And, and that's um, consistency. People like consistency because it makes them feel safe. And um, right, right. I'm anything but that. You know, I don't. You know, I might be inconsistently consistent, but I or the other way around, perhaps. But uh, but one of the people that actually changed my view on that is Adam Savage because he says the same mm. thing. He's just like he dives in with both feet and learns everything he can, and then gets out and does something different. Yeah, no, right. I, that, I don't think that's negative at all. That's. Uh, um to keep wanting to dive into new things, constantly learning, especially with YouTube. There's always, we've all done it. We go for whatever we want. I want to look at this specific thing. I want to review on this. And then all of a sudden you're watching a guy who, uh, a machinist, or you're watching some type of, uh, someone who boogie boards in Hawaii. Mm -hmm. And then you watch hours and hours of this guy who boogie boards. And then you start thinking, maybe I should buy a boogie board. And what's the best (laughs) boogie board? And, Anything like that, I I, uh, I, I love it. I, I love doing the same thing. Our brother Derek has always been kind of the same way. I mean, we all have a little bit, but uh, our oldest brother, he's always he'll get into something one hundred percent and just obsess over it for for a year and then maybe move on. But that's not a bad yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, I agree. He's definitely the out of all of us, he's the one <clears throat> who does that the most. But then he's also the most fickle. So like Brian, you're like, you were saying, you know, like you feel like that's, you can't kind of focus on one thing, but I also believe that that's helping to build your toolbox of skills. And so again, like going back to Adam Savage, I mean, he's got his cave, which has all this stuff. And especially since COVID has been like working on everything and making everything super efficient and, you know, reworking all of his, like all the storage things and everything, how it, you know, just making everything really efficient. And I was watching uh, one of his videos yesterday um, where he did his planer and spindle sander, you know, little holder that slides under his table saw. And he was saying how he's got these tools that some of them live up in the like attic space above his shop and they get used once a year. And then he's got ones that he used sometimes. And I think that's kind of like that, right? You've got these skills and all this stuff that you've learned over the years and developed all these different interests and skills, which then are all part of your toolbox. And then, you know, you can then move on and you don't realize it, but like you're in your shop, Brian, and you're doing something and then you're like, Oh, I need to do this. And it's already there in your mind. It's part of that, that skills toolbox. So you already know how to do it or it, you know, it, 
fits into the puzzle of what you're doing and how your mind works as an innovator and an inventor and a machinist, which I'm always like fascinated when I see you do that stuff and come up with ways, things that work. And I love that about, that's one of the things I love about your channel. And that's one of the things I love about a lot of other like machinists and inventors channels, channels on YouTube, because my mind feels, I think, and feel that way, but not as fluidly as I think you do, which is really cool. I wake up every day thinking about machines and like how they spin and move and, you know, just kind of figuring things out. And then typically though, the, the things that I build are things that are designed to solve a problem. And then once you take the, you know, I'll be doing something and I'll be like, man, it would be really great if I just could do that in one move. And then not have to like, you know, do this a hundred times or have like four different pieces of equipment to do that. I wish I could just do it in one thing. How would that work? And then I'll spend the next like month just thinking about it. And then, you know, in between all the other projects. And then one day I'll just sit down and draw it up in CAD and then go, okay, I think I can do it this way. And then by the time I actually build it, it typically is somewhat functional. You know, there's some piece of it that will work. But um, I don't think people fully understand what it means to be a single human being working in a workshop prototyping something putting it together filming it and then showing the world and then selling it and yeah. you know you know making sales on and helping people and then supporting it so i you know uh, a lot of people think like for instance i'm working on this tracking mechanism and i've beaten the dead horse on youtube about tracking mechanisms <laughs> and you would not believe that anyone would want to watch somebody design something like a tracking mechanism for a yeah. belt grinder but they do um and i don't i don't fully understand it because i'm not sure i would watch it but um you know when i'm done with the video I think ah, no one's going to watch this, you know, and I'll post it and it'll get a couple thousand views in the first couple of days. And then you know, a couple of them, you know, just skyrocketed, you know, you get yeah. really lots of views and people, uh, uh, my favorite thing about it is, so I'm on a, like a private message, um, basis with quite a few people who have followed me over the years and I'll just get like a DM from somebody on uh, a drawing that's on a bar napkin uh, of a way to do something differently. And they'll go, if you did it like this, it would, you know, alleviate the binding or, you know, you could, you could change. And it's a, it's a literally somebody in a bar, you know, was on a business trip and they watched the, the video that night in the hotel, drew it up and sent it to me. And the idea is stellar. I mean, it's something I didn't think about. Um, that happens more than I probably get. Like if I release a video and it shows something I'm designing, I'll probably get about five or six of those messages now where all va very valid, you know, engineer based type stuff. And these guys aren't engineers. They're just, right. Hey, I think you should do it this way. I love that. It's like yeah, freaking amazing. <clears throat> that's yeah, awesome. I, I'm uh, I'm, I am uh, guilty of doing that same thing. And the one that I did for you and you actually in the video had asked like, you know, what do you guys think about this or this, or how should I set this up? You know, and that you were actually reaching out for people to give you some advice or, you know, to come up with some ideas. Um, I just thought that was so fun. Like, why not? You know what I mean? Especially using that as an avenue to like work toward building something that then you can then, you know, provide as something to the rest of the world to build. And then they'll things. see it. Yeah. And they'll see it built. You know, so yeah. that's the other thing. They're like, holy shit, he actually built what I drew on that bar napkin, you know? And, yeah, exactly. Uh, and people love that that community, right? Yeah. You know, like I've said it before in the podcast and on my videos, you know, it's like I at one point talked uh, to 
I was watching a live stream of Alex Steele's years ago, and he mentioned my name or the art of craftsmanship <laughs> in his live stream. And I was like, holy shit, you know, Alex Steele just said our name. And just that community was like, I felt like I was part of something there. And this famous person on TV in front of me, <laughs> you know, then acknowledged me as part of the creative community around him, which was just super cool. And I think opening that up to people on your channel has really, I think, given you even, I mean, I think right now what you're at just under 26,000 subscribers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think with us, we're just under 90,000 subscribers. I think you probably get more interaction between people on your channel because of the way you present yourself. It's very like people want to interact with you. They want to be part of that creative, you know, the, the creative studio you have in there in yeah. Florida. It's yeah. Awesome. But that's, that's also part of his dedication to, um, all the different outlets to how you can communicate to someone like constantly yeah. posting videos to Instagram and YouTube community and asking questions and doing polls mm -hmm. and stuff, all that stuff that we're a little slow at. We, we can improve one, but I think Brian, you got that down, but also we always talk about if there's a, a level of quality right off the bat, they might, they might watch anything just because it's a step above. So uh, right. It, you know, if it's just some guy in a shop with a GoPro, they might turn it off because they're annoyed by the sound. Or if you can start at a high level like Brian does, um, yeah, then you can have them. Then you can not not show them anything and they'll watch, but they might watch more just because they appreciate the work that you put into it. And uh, I, I guess we have said his channel. It's, it's housework. Everyone should go watch it. Um, really awesome stuff and brian i want to know how i guess it's the natural progression of things but how did you go from your first videos seemed kind of a a florida uh boating a restoration channel kind of thing um i think your your first video was uh how to toss a six foot like hand net yeah which actually yeah. that one's done great <laughs> which is another great thing about youtube you could have something years old and it can still be pumping out the numbers but how'd you go from that to grinders and prototyping well my my first channel was just like me around the house and I, I at the time i was doing a lot of gardening and i had i had created a video on a flip cam you remember those flip cams that had like a little pop out thing that a usb plug on it and yeah it's a handheld mm -hmm. device mm -hmm. i had that and i made a how to plant papaya trees so i took a papaya cut it threw the seeds in a pot and let it grow and then you know posted it to youtube and then about a year later i got a message from youtube saying where do you where should we put the money from your 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 video and i was like what are you talking about <laughs> you know? and i looked at the video and it had forty-seven thousand views on it it was just one video on one channel never did anything else after that right and then i was and i it had generated a little over a hundred dollars in the year so i um I was like, oh, wow, people can actually make money at this. And that was in 2008. And then um, after that, I just started creating content. I was keeping bees at the time. So I was making video content about um, my little apiary that I had in my backyard. And uh, and then um, I got serious about YouTube after that and created the Captain House channel, which is ultimately what turned into housework, which is what people watch now. Um, and I was doing boating videos and restoration. I was going through a divorce. So I was like just a midlife crisis mess. And I was like, I bought a boat, like every old, every guy going through a midlife crisis and a divorce, <laughs> I bought something to restore, you know, and I'm out there, you know, in the hundred degree heat grinding away and doing transoms and just talking about my, 
my my life and whatever and uh shot that all on a gopro and it was you know the the quality wasn't that great um but uh i what i was amazed by was the amount of people who reached out to me uh you know short of the trolls and stuff you know the people who are kind of like you're an idiot you know your audio sucks or whatever um (laughs) there there was a lot of people that were just like hey how you doing i live in tampa and i'm here and blah 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 and i met some of those people and they're still friends of mine today you know Mm. and um so I realized there's definite chance for community, um, but I was outside a lot. I was a fishing captain. I was doing running um, fishing charters out of uh, Goodland, Florida, and uh, also running my computer business and doing that. I've always had a side hustle. It's just been a I like I like to work, you know. But um, <laughs> yeah. and then I got cancer and I could not do that anymore. So um, I took like a year off of YouTube. I got better. You know, I got all my surgeries and everything, got all that taken care of. And then um, I got remarried. My life kind of got, you know, put back in order. And I was having a conversation with Sarah, who most of you know, if you've ever listened to the podcast, she joins me on there. And um, I said, I really want to join, go back on YouTube and do something. So I I started with a motorcycle project. I started filming that and restoring an old bike in my garage and, um, it just kind of went from there to learning how to weld and then from there wanting to get into knife making and steel work and, you know, every little, like Adam Savage, you know, he picked up one thing and just kind of ran with it. And then it, it just, as you guys know, you buy one ax and then, you know, now, you know, a year or two later, you got 20 axes, you got 20 knives, you're doing this and it, it snowballs, you know, yeah, you're like, snowballs, I, right. I really want to learn how to heat treat steel, you know? Um, and, um, TIG weld and, and all that. And I, I kind of, that eventually just turned into the biggest issue that I had was my tooling. You know, I I could not afford, you know, going out and spending two or $3,000 on a really nice grinder. And, um, and then I, I know I'm being long winded here, but the, this is kind of the progression. I built a grinder and I this got a, yeah. the first one I built was uh, that, you know, standard version from DC knives. Um, Dan over there designed it and gave his plans away. And then um, I actually threw a knife into my apron when I was grinding on it. I would, it yeah, I lost a knife in my hand and it just slammed right into my apron. Luckily, Tang first, you know, I didn't mm. get hurt, but I realized at that point that I really wanted to have a grinder that you know went forward reverse it would track properly i'd be able to tilt it so i wasn't doing things i shouldn't be doing with my tools and i and i made a video about it i was like hey you know i screwed up and i hurt myself and or almost hurt myself and and i'm gonna design a new grinder and like dave from evader knives like a bunch of people just reached out to me and they're like if you but if you design what you're saying you're gonna design um, you know, I, I, I would love to see it. I want to, I want to be the first one to buy it. You know, I had like a huge outpouring of people when I started talking about this stupid grinder, I was like, there's gotta be something to this. I don't know what, but I'm going to do it. And I spent six months of my life every day designing, prototyping, building. And at that time I didn't have any high end tools like plasma cutters or anything. So I cut everything by hand and milled everything by hand on my mill. And I built the first revolution and that was, uh, Let's see, gosh, almost a year ago now. So, only a year ago. That yeah, was in November. Yeah. Holy cow. Yep. <laughs> that's that's crazy. And oh, the man. story gets even weirder when I <laughs> sell the. I start selling the plans, and then uh, like companies reached out to me and said, "Why don't we make the laser cut parts? Why don't we do this? Why don't we do that?" And it was just 
okay and i just went with it and um we've sold thousands of them now so it's it's the, the last one i made by hand is the one you have actually dustin that's awesome yeah <laughs> i hope it works yeah. <laughs> i think great. about that all the time i'm like i should really just send him like a nice one like a manufactured one because that thing was made by you'd sent me a photo of the something that looked all janky and i was like i know it's terrible i made it by hand <laughs> oh no, man. that's no, I great was, you got yeah. the uh you got the model t made by uh ford himself right? that's it man yeah exactly that's you it. got the i'll come sign got, it one man. day or something yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that's I mean, and that's that's one of the ways that we got to know each other is because you reached out to me and the question was, have you ever thought about getting a 2x72 grinder? And I was like, absolutely. I think about it all the time because I've been using, you know, started out with a 4x36 belt and disc grinder from Harbor Freight and then upped my game to the 1x30, which is if if you're starting out knife making, uh buy yourself a 1x30 just because for the price it's you know, head and shoulders above any other grinder for knife making. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially because it has, it's a small platen, but it has a platen behind the belt. That's the same width as the belt. And that makes a huge difference when you're trying to grind plunge lines and bevels and stuff. So, and I, yeah, I mean, I used that for a couple of years and, and then, uh, reached out and then graciously made and sent me a grinder, which is just blew my mind. And, Still blows my mind, and it, and it still works great. Um, I, you did the custom, uh, the mount in the back because I had the bottom mounted motor yeah. already, and and that works great. It turned out really good, and you know I I did a few little adjustments, but I assumed you know anytime you get a machine and you set it up, you got to do your own adjustments to get everything working. And yeah, it's yeah. Uh, for one, Brian. I want actually I want two of those work for it uh, bumper stickers. Yeah, I'll send one, you guys. One we can either slap on the grinder. If Dustin wants to, but if not, yeah, I just, or, or somewhere in the shop, and I, I want one. But also, um, it was funny. I, I've been editing. Uh, we're doing this, uh, turning machete into a. Well, Dustin did like a pirate saber. We wanted to see how how cool cool of a, a sword you could make out of a machete. And um, this was like when did we start shooting it? Dust like six months ago. Actually, yeah, it, it would have been. been it was it before been, it was before uh Brian sent you the revolution grinder. And that's a little it? weird. Me editing now and you using all older equipment. Was it really you, you, you don't use the revolution grinder. We don't have the sign up in the in the corner of the shop. Holy cow. It seems like years ago. But <laughs> <laughs> So so the the pirate saber is that like uh like the it's a knife but it's just, it's a little bit of a longer knife and it would be like something they would stick in their mouths when they would climb up the mast and like yeah uh, so a pirate well, cutlass it's, it's a, is it's kind a cutlass, of like, right oh, a but cutlass. a little bit longer so it'd be like what they would have as a sword with a curved think, curved yeah, tip i think the typical cutlass was somewhere between like 24 and 30 oh. inches maybe at the longest okay. um this one's a little bit shorter because i was using what i had the material that i had but um but yeah, it's a, it's a fun project, and um, we actually are doing it in collaboration with Alex Garland from the Outdoors Fifty Five channel. <clears throat> and uh, but it we started it right at the beginning of COVID, right? Uh, and be, we actually went up to his place up in Pennsylvania, his shop, and dropped off the uh, the other machete that I was going to give to him so we could work on it together. Um, it's so it's the idea behind it is that he'll make one and I'll make one, and then we exchange them at the end. So it's more of a like, let's just both create videos and then we'll exchange them and then we can do like a chop test and stuff and just make, make kind of fun, you know, 
fun swords that aren't necessarily they don't, they don't have to be perfect. You know, and that's I'm, why I wouldn't think I'm thinking it yeah. would be kind of cool to up the ante a little bit and have you guys do a real sword fight. You know, like a, <laughs> sharp knives and everything sharp, you know, and, and uh, you have somebody on the sideline with like bandages, you know, keeping you, you know, clean. And then, uh, or you can recreate some scenes from the Goonies. I'm just yeah. throwing that out there. I, I like know. it. Yeah. Hey, you guys. I mean, these are all, these are all good. I mean, this is good. Uh, good or views. We're bringing in views. We do a real sword fight. That'll get, got a lot of views on YouTube. Or yeah. if you really want to get dangerous, <laughs> just stand about three feet away from each other without masks. Yep. Yeah, there we go. And then <laughs> the next boy, best thing. it'll get people upset. <laughs> Social distance sword fight. <laughs> we did the next we, episode yeah, we, of we a, Art of Craftsmanship. <laughs> we did talk about a couple of different options for things to do. We're like, and well, it, we yeah, could do it, like full body, you know, like hazmat suits and, that was, and like do an exchange. That was in the beginning when we were. That was in the um, beginning. Yeah, we were. Yeah, we were. We were mocking it a little bit because it was right yeah. when everything started. We we're like, yeah. We'll do this, and yeah, we'll have full body hazard suits and be really distant, distant. But then it just became too real. And we're like, no, we're not going to mock it. Yeah, we're not going to yeah. mock it. I'm now. with we're you. Just <laughs> Even if you like, people ask me about it, and they're like, "What?" My my dad this morning on the phone, he he's like, "What do you think about all this? You know, stuff going on with COVID?" I'm like, "I'm not smart enough to understand any of it. I just wear a mask and wash my hands, and you know, stand six feet away from everybody. It doesn't really affect my life too much. I'm a, I'm a little yeah. bit of an introvert anyway, so." Um, right. but you know, you just kind of, kind of steer clear of people and somebody's coughing or sneezing, you know, just go the other direction. <laughs> close your mouth, That's close it. your eyes, walk away, <laughs> close your eyes, walk into a wall. <laughs> yeah, so, no, I, I agree. Uh, you know, the same thing. It's just like, there's not really much you can do. You just kind of just do your best to protect yourself and protect and, the people around and the, you. The, the, the funny yeah. thing is 95% of people are, are doing that. We all are yeah. in kind of yeah. agreement. Okay, we'll wear a mask and wash our hands and just be careful about who we're around. It's just the other loud 5% who are yelling about everyone else. Um, The assholes are always the loudest. I don't know what it is. (laughs) That's right. Um, (laughs) My wife could probably attest to that. Hey, (laughs) look out. Um, I was listening to, I guess, your last podcast. You were talking about, uh, and you actually talked about earlier here, uh, beekeeping or, or. saving hives right mm-hmm. you did that for a little while um yep. if I, I you probably don't know this i don't think we've talked about it our grandfather was a beekeeper in maryland and then he did move down to florida and continue when was that dust like when my mom was in high school yeah our mom was maybe 17 i think or so when she's the she's the youngest of four daughters um so when my mom was 17 the rest of her daughters had all graduated high school and graduate some had already graduated college my grandparents moved down to florida um in you know the, what the tampa, part they were in yeah um tampa area okay outside of tampa they, they actually lived on a little lake called lake waimama okay i think it's like west of tampa by 20 minutes 40 minutes something like that it'd probably be east of tampa tampa's right on the coast yeah, so there you'd you be, go. yeah, yeah. Be the other direction <laughs> a little yeah, island you'd end out in the <laughs> gulf of mexico there yeah <laughs> Yeah, right. The other direction. There's a lot of beekeepers down here in apiaries because the bees don't have to die off. You know, they they, the hives can stay alive all year round because it's a temperate climate. And um, and then they ship them all back. You see big big trucks, you know, with just huge hives, you know, stacks and stacks of boxes heading north. And then I don't know if you know, but uh, apiaries rent their bees out for pollination in farms. Yeah, right. Yeah. 
Yeah, and we uh, yeah, it was just another connection that we have with Brian. It's we and we grew up on a farm with a honey house that um, was our grandfather's, and we always I I just remember playing in it. He wasn't. I mean, once he left, we weren't doing any more. Um, there wasn't any more honey pr- production, but there was always the honey house with all the stuff in it for uh, honey production, all the little bottles and stickers and all the Sherman stuff. Um, Do you have a talk- centrifuge where he would spin yeah, the combs? Yeah, or? yeah, they had two mm-hmm. floors. I was actually talking to my mom about it. Um, she remembers the top floor, a giant eight-foot, I think it was that, and it would pour down to the first floor. And sometimes it will overflow. So my mom has childhood memories of her and her sisters in bare feet just running around yeah. with dustpans scooping up honey because it would overflow and then take it back up and they'd run it through again and heat it up. But, you know, the, the bacteria doesn't live in honey, so it was okay. They could do that and then re-sift it down through the honey house and, uh, yeah, do that. And another fun fact, our grandmother was deathly allergic to honeybees. No kidding. Yeah. <laughs> so I would imagine she she had been stung a few times if they had an apiary there. Yep. Yep. She was stung. She would. Um, our grandfather would come and get her, and then boil a syringe and give her adrenaline, and that's how they dealt with Scary it. Scary stuff, man. Yeah, that's Scary crazy. Stuff. <laughs> yeah. And it, yeah. I mean, it never stopped her. I mean, she. You know, she. As far as I know, I I know she helped out and did things around with the bees, but. Um, you know, just living on the farm. I mean, when we grew up on the same farm that my mom grew up on, um, and we would get stung, you know, I don't know. I remember five, six, seven times a summer. Like it just, they were always around. It was never really a big deal. I just remember getting stung and being like, ah, and go running into my mom. And <laughs> she'd have the little like sting off stuff and put it on you and then and go back out and play. <laughs> I, I have a funny story about when I wanted to get into working with bees um, I had a friend who um, lives here in Florida. His name's Pedro, and um, he was from Panama, and he was doing a hive rescue. <clears throat> and uh, he said, he gave me, you know, he, I posted something on Facebook. This is the beauty of the internet, right? So I posted something on Facebook that I wanted to, you know, get into beekeeping. And he saw the post, and then he says, I got to go do a bee rescue. You want to come with me, you know, just so you can get some experience? Sure, why not? All right. So I show up to the, uh, to the uh, the house where the bees are, and the bees are flying in and out of uh, like the hole in the side of a house where a hose bib would come out. You know, mm-hmm. like they would make a little hole so the pipe could come out, yep. but the pipe wasn't sealed. You know, that were around where the house was, and the bees were coming and going out of there. So they were obviously in the wall. And I said to Pedro, I said, um, you know, I don't even know if I'm allergic to bees. Like I, the last time I was stung, I was probably you know ten years old or something. Right. And he reaches down as as those words are coming out of my mouth he reaches down grabs a bee by the wings that's hanging out on the front of the little hive hole there he he takes it over and he says let's find out and he puts the bee on my arm and it stings me (laughs) i didn't get a chance to you know, accept or reject this, uh, you know, plan <laughs> at all. It, and, then, and, then, and then of course the histamine <laughs> rush, you know, yeah. and now I'm having a little bit of a panic attack. Cause I'm thinking <sighs> I'm out in the middle of nowhere with this guy that I barely know. And I met him at a party and I'm friends with him on Facebook. I've been stung by a bee. I'm not really sure if I'm allergic or not. Long story short, I'm not. I mean, obviously, but uh, uh, it was a little bit uh, interesting. I was like, "Thanks a lot, Pedro." You know, you, you let me dive right in with both feet right there. So it was pretty cool, man. That's awesome. Yeah, Bam, let's find that? out. <laughs> Boom. 
right. Um, I, if you can, Brian, can you give a short version of the uh, the A-Frame House B story? I, th- I thought that was great. I, if if sure. someone, they can listen to the full version on Work For It podcast, uh, but it was really cool. Can you tell that story? Sure. Uh, I'll give the uh, cliff notes. So um, <laughs> at this time, I'm, I'm now doing bee rescues on the regular down in florida bees are everywhere and um i had a lot of hippie friends and they were all like no don't kill the bees you know and i and i always like free stuff so i was like sure i'll go get your hive and you know we'll we'll get another hive going for the apiary mm-hmm. and a friend of mine had lived in an a-frame style house which looks like a big triangle most people know what it looks like and it was kind of out in the woods a little bit and um this house had tons of bee different beehives in it and um, she says come over and you know rescue these bees and get them out of my house or whatever so i climb up uh, into her um her bedroom where and then she had a closet so she's like i think there's a hive right back here and of course there's like honey pouring out of the wall and uh you know out of the little cracks in the walls and stuff and um, yeah i think it's there (laughs) yeah i'm pretty sure it's there and then you can put your hand on the wall too and feel for like some heat you know the Mm. bees generate uh you know, a good amount of heat. So, um, I grabbed my sawzall we cut into the wall, you know, and I'm wearing a full bee suit, you know, so top to bottom boots, duct tape around, you know, all holes, you know, anywhere a bee could get in plus a helmet with a, a net. And, um, I pull this, the drywall away from the wall and, uh, it's nothing but hive. You can't see anything but honeycomb and bees essentially. Um, and if you've done any work with bees, you know, you gotta use smoke. So in smoke calms the bees. And as I'm pulling this piece of drywall away, my, my assistant, my helper, she's, um, you know, uh, uh, puffing smoke into the crack to kind of keep the bees calm and to mask any hormone alarm sense that the bees will give off. And, uh, this, this hive must've been about eight feet tall. I mean, it was from the top where we cut in all the way to the floor, you know, and, um, but if you can imagine, it's an A-frame style house, so the the wall is actually cantilevered over my head. You know, mm-hmm. the, all the walls in the inside of the house were also at an angle. And um, in order to get down to where the bees are, I'm I'm on my hands and knees, and I'm cutting comb out of the wall, and I'm getting stung because the the suit I'm wearing is is like a white you know beekeeper's outfit, and they're designed to keep the bees off of you but the bees will still try to sting you through the suit Mm. but because i'm now on my hands and knees and the suit is like real tight they're actually getting through so they're they're now stinging my legs and my back and my muffin top which you know they love so much (laughs) and and i'm i and i'm feeling these stings and i'm just like oh man this is a lot of stings and bees do this thing once you've been working with bees a little bit you'll you get the sense of their attitude at any given moment and when uh, when they start to really get angry they start to dive bomb your face they're attracted to you know carbon dioxide when it's coming out of your mouth and they just start these bees just after about 10 minutes of working with them blowing tons of smoke you know into the hive they were just super pissed off and um, I got stung about 50 or 60 times that day in my legs and I, I, I look like I had gone to the buffet a few too many times. You know, I just started <laughs> swelling up my whole body. And, and uh, what I realized later was that um, 
back then there was, a, I don't know if you remember all the news stories about Africanized bees. You know, mm-hmm. there's all these stories about people getting killed by swarms of bees, you know, and they do these dramatic reenactments. Well, down in Florida, we have um, a climate very similar to, um, to Africa. And so Africanized bees can actually survive here. And these were a, uh, a crossbreed of, of the bee, of those two bees, the European honeybee and the Africanized bee. So they were really aggressive. And, uh, yeah, it's, that was not a fun, fun afternoon trying to get, you know, I'm taking Benadryl, you know, three at a time to try to keep, the, keep my body from going into shock and all because after a while, even if you're not allergic to bees, that many stings, if you sustain that many, uh, you're, you know, you, there's a risk that you could go into anaphylactic shock. So, yeah, but, uh, yeah good, times. good times. So what, so yeah. I'm trying to visualize. So you open up the wall, I know you're like underneath of it and you're getting everything. So when you're re- rescuing a hive, um, <clears throat> and a hive that big, I'd imagine that's hundreds of thousands of bees. Uh, are you really just looking for the main ball of bees and then you have like a bee box that you like break it off and drop it into and cover them up how does that work so i i actually invent i didn't invent this but it's um i built sure. a um a, a thing yeah i, I built a, a a bee vacuum i don't know if you've ever heard mm. of this the the revolution bee vacuum the revolution <laughs> two by 72 bee vacuum get it now House the flow bee us <laughs> flow that's bee. it the flow bee oh. the, the flow bee that's, that's very funny <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's it's if you can imagine it's like a big shop vac uh-huh. that lives outside and one end of the shop vac where the suction end goes into a a, um, a bee box and then another end comes out of the bee box and then there's a big long hose and what you've created is essentially a bee vacuum and there's a there's a, a one-way valve on the one side so the bees can't get into the vacuum right and uh I, so what i would do is i'd cut open the wall and then i would grab that hose and turn on the shop vac and i would literally vacuum the bees up into the box That's hoping crazy. that i would acquire the um the the queen. the queen once i get the queen then i can stop because what will happen right. is all the other bees will sense that she's in the box and they will go to the box on their own and you'll start seeing them. They'll start building up on the outside of the box. That's when you just pull it all open and let them go back in and hang out with the queen. So that's how, you know, you got the queen is when they, um, when they move their attention, they will usually the bees who are out in the field will return to the hive. Notice she's not there. And then uh, somebody will send in the beehive will either send a signal to the rest of the hive. Like the, the queen is gone. You know, she's not here. They will. Have you ever seen like those big balls of bees where mm-hmm. they're like hanging off a bicycle seat or off of a car or, or a tree they are a tree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What that is, is the queen is on the inside of that and the rest of the bees are surrounding her. And there, uh, there's scout bees who are, are typically male, and they're out uh, looking for another location. Once that location's been found, bees are fascinating. I mean, they they, they have like full on conversations, you know, through uh, pheromones and hormones and whatever else. And um, so, when the when the, wherever the queen is, those bees are commanded through scent of some kind or signal of some kind to protect the queen. She is by far the most important thing, and they will find her. You know, she could be fifty feet away from where the hive was, mm. and they'll find her. Man, that is. <clears throat> I'm just sitting over here with like my eyes open and just shaking my head. It's so fascinating. You think fascinating. about that, like that, that, that you know, just 
current superstructure of of hive mind, you know, and what that, how that's been created in these little teeny organisms. It's so and, fascinating. And one one fact that will throw your mind even more <laughs> into a blender is that the average honeybee lives for seventeen days. Holy cow! So that's they crazy. they don't get a big life cycle. Yeah, and and so this is all stuff that has occurred. You know, it's it's all genetic instinct mm. basically. Um, but the queen can survive and she will live for years. You know, she'll stay in a hive, you know, for a long time. That's yeah. A good friend of mine, um, Brian green, who, um, lives not too far from me. He, um, he started kind of hobby beekeeping and he brought a couple of hives over to my property here because his hives were expanding and he was, they were, uh, they were swarming. And so he was able to capture a couple and then build it out. And so he brought some hives over here and I actually got to go and, uh, you know, he took me over and opened up the hives and we took a look at them, uh, earlier this summer. That was really fascinating. It was the first time I actually done, you know, growing up with the grandparents who were beekeepers, but they were always down in Florida, you know, and living at the honey house is the first time I actually got to, uh, you know, get in a bee suit and open up a hive and take a look inside and see everything. It was super fascinating. So, so cool. It's exciting. It's, it's one of those things where you open it up and you're like, these things could easily kill me like at any moment, you know? And, uh, if you do it right, they become your friends, you know, and you can work with them and, uh, you know, snag a few, uh, combs of honey and, you know, in exchange, you feed them a little sugar water and they love that. And, um, yeah, yeah I, it was How'd one of the best times of my life. How did you, my, my, my kids were real little back then too. Yeah. So they would, uh, we have these screened in porches in Florida called Lanai's. Mm-hmm. And, um, I set up all my bee boxes just on the other side of the screen. So the kids could stand within inches of me and That's be protected. Awesome. And then I would pop open the boxes and work the bees and they would stand there and watch. And Dexter was like, I don't know, four or five. And, uh, yeah, Dexter, Dexter's your oldest, is that right? Yeah, Dexter's my oldest. He's 14 now. Okay. And then we have Izzy, who's 13, and we have Emerson, who is 11. Ah. All right, Sean Porter, if you're Does listening, Dexter I just want to point uh, out the fact that I'm right. Because Sean and I were having a conversation recently. He's like, I'm pretty sure Dexter's the youngest. He's <laughs> the one who built the table in the shop. And I was like, I don't know. Brian and I are pretty close through YouTube. I'm pretty sure that Dexter is the oldest. <laughs> it's like, Yeah, he's the ah. oldest. Yeah. <clears throat> The other two yeah. don't make any appearances, really. They 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 don't they could care less about YouTube. Like, Dexter yeah, loves you, it. You've had used to have uh, or some of the earlier videos I saw. There would be like your younger son would be sitting up on the the balcony, like up on the couch, just hanging out, and yeah, hanging out on an iPad or something. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, awesome. he he is he's like the epitome of cool man. He's just like whatever. Uh, I'm here for the <laughs> ride, and that's it. So does uh, Dexter have any interest in making his own YouTube channel, uh, Housework Junior? He, he talks about it, you know, and um, I think the hardest part for anybody in YouTube is just figuring out what you're going to do and then starting mm-hmm. that process. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, if, if you've ever heard me talk about it, I always say, just make something. Just do- yep. It doesn't matter what it is. And, and what people will do is they'll find you and like you and follow you for whatever. it You know, if, even if you're restoring a boat or building a grinder or sharpening an axe or making a knife, um, you know, it's... It is th- most people who have big followings on YouTube, um, w- the, the people that follow them, follow them because they like them. You know, yep. um, mm-hmm, that right. was the biggest reason w- when I started watching the art of craftsmanship and going back to what you were saying about the grinder stuff. I'm watching you 
who I, I, we obviously have very similar upbringings and stuff. So we, I feel like I know you guys and I feel like, you know, immediately felt kinship between us. Um, but then I'm watching you create all this amazing stuff, right? And I'm watching you do it with rudimentary tools. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm just like, I have the opportunity here to like increase your speed and productivity in your workshop, but also to like make a new friend and and meet somebody that I would really, you know, they, uh, Gary V always talks about like, if you're going to reach out to somebody who's in a position to help you, don't ask them for something. Ask if they can, if you can do something for them or give mm-hmm. them something. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and immediately I thought of, you know, of course I would love to connect with a Jimmy Duresta or, you know, um, even like Alex Garland. Like I, um, yeah. I would watch his, you know, all his stuff and I'd be like, ah, you know, these guys are, you know, but what can I give them that they don't already have, you know? Right. And then, um, I ran into your channel and it was just like, I fell in love. I, I binge watch your entire, um, catalog and um because i i mean i i did not know devin existed i i had no idea <laughs> yeah, right. for a while you know i said that to you in the last last yeah. time we spoke and then i realized like holy shit like yeah he's got a film degree he works in production this all is now making sense yeah. um and then you know you guys as a team let alone being brothers by the way listening to the i just finished the brother podcast dude the the stories oh my god the freaking river story with the camel's foot and the whole thing i i'm like i'm grinding away by the way because i'm making i'm finishing a whole bunch of knives today and i'm like just sitting here going this is such good stuff like it is and to hear brothers laugh and talk with each other like how rare is that you know where brothers don't like you know have all these like angry feelings towards each other. I don't know what, right, exactly. what it is, what makes me think that, but um, yeah, yeah but you and, guys are doing really good stuff. That's one of those things that like, we know that that relationship between our, you know, our brothers and our extended family, we have a really good relationship and that's not something that's super common, unfortunately in our world, you know, everyone is, I mean, people are people, people are selfish, right? You're, you, you're thinking about yourself. So to be able to have a group of people that are really, you know, just welcoming and open and, and, you know, obviously we're all we're brothers. So we fought over the years, but you know, it's, it never got to a point where we all have really similar mindsets. And we also are all, I think we're all pretty laid back, which is, I think is a big thing. And my parents are both relatively laid back. They're a little bit more high strung than we are, but I think all of us are a little bit laid back, which is nice. We just like kind of let things roll off and, you know, take care of each other. And, uh, and yeah, we wanted to, we wanted to highlight that in the podcast and that's definitely something we had so much fun. It was fun. I mean, we bought two new podcasting setups. You like headphones. I was going to ask you just yeah. so we could do that. Yeah. I, I was like, man, that's four microphones and yeah. probably more, yeah, more equipment just to make that happen. And, yeah, and but, you, you touch on all of those things about, you know, your upbringing and your being brothers and like how much you guys have like razzed each other and mm-hmm. about, you know, one brother shorter than the rest and, you know, that whole thing. So it sounded like a very similar, you know, upbringing to a lot of um, families, yeah. but then you can, you get a sense of like how much you guys really do love and respect each other, even in your older ages, you know, and what a great time capsule, by the way, you know, at the time, uh, Devin, your daughter hadn't been born yet. Right. So you're, you know, days before, you know, right. is it Maeve? What's her name? Yeah, Maeve. Yeah. Maeve. Maeve is being, you know, in a few days, Maeve will be born. You have this great conversation with you and your brothers and you're reminiscing, you know, talking about family and the farm and, and man, 
you know how many people would love and love to love have that and and go man i wish and so you'll have that forever yeah it'll be yeah. out in the internet you know somewhere that so. was something i was uh, a little weirded out about doing a podcast was that i think in the long run it will be good but i was a little worried no i guess not worried just like there's going to be this weekly record of everything we do in the future and our our <laughs> children will be able to go back and listen if they want to you know hundreds of hours of of our our ramblings i i guess that's a good thing but then you start to think um your daughter's going to hear the dildo story. I don't know. <laughs> right. Maybe a little weird. The camel foot yeah. and, and, and the ramblings. And they they probably won't want to listen to it until maybe they're older or until it's worth something to them when they're way older, when they're in their yeah. 50s and 60s and they want to look back to their parents and or the next generation grandparents and just hear them talk. I guess it, it, it will be a cool thing in the in the long run, but it weirds me out a little bit. <laughs> I think it's a good thing. I think you're. I think when you get older, you're gonna look. I I look back at the YouTube videos I made, and I went, oh yeah, like I, I said stuff like that. That was weird, you know. And, and <laughs> but at the same time, like who the hell am I? You know what I mean? Like right, I, yeah. I feel like I'm just this guy on you know this little blue marble floating around in the dust yeah. of the space, space <laughs> and the galaxy and whatever. And I, when I, we talk about this on the Work for It podcast a lot, where we all want to be recognized for our work. You know, that, you know, that's, I think men attribute their value. Nope. Oh, big jet flying over. Oh, hey, there you go. <laughs> um, and, um, we, we, men attribute our value to society and to our families and by through our work, you know, mm -hmm. and that's what we do. And, you know, went, we went from hunter gatherers to, you know, desk jockeys, you know, for a lack of better term than most right. of us. And the, when you, when you take, um, all of that and you boil it all down, we're really just here for a little blip of time, you know, hundred years. Yeah. We have some verbal records, you know, from my family, there's not hardly anything written down there's, you know, nobody knows anything, but now with the internet, everything can be, you know, dug up and I have all this record of everything. So, you know, um, act accordingly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I think <clears throat> knowing that and being able to control it somewhat, like I was saying, you know, like we were saying earlier, you have, you seem to have everything kind of like you work it from beginning to end and all these things there, but you've got all, everything behind the scenes, right? But you're kind of curating what you're putting out there. And that's what everyone I think should do, you know, be careful what you're putting out there in social media. But we are like, we're now in a society that is always putting out information about our lives and what we're working on. And I, I hear and I feel both sides of the conversation on that where it's like, all right, are we always just putting out information to get some affirmation back to feel like how good we are? You know, is that the reason why I'm always posting stuff on Instagram or, you know, Facebook, or is it because I enjoy the community? And I think it's some of both. I think we have this avenue now to be able to get out there and, and put information out in the world and get some affirmation for what we're doing. Because myself as an artist, I, went to uh, graduate school and undergrad for fine art and artists in general, I think are always people who are taking something inside themselves, a, a part of your soul, a part of who you are, and then exposing it to the world and then putting yourself out there to be criticized. Mm -hmm. um, so now we have, but an then we hate the criticism. 
Right. We hate the criticism, but, but I mean, <laughs> I, you know, I, uh, going through grad school and undergrad, you get used to that type of criticism you have to, right. As a maker, you have to be able to put something out there and get some criticism and use that as fuel for the fire. And so I think about it that way when I'm putting stuff out there, obviously I'm like, Oh nice. You know, if I put this thing, you know, I take a picture of a new ax that I've worked on. I put it on ax junkies on Facebook and then all this, you know, I get, hundred likes and a whole bunch of people commenting like, Oh, that's cool. You know, everyone's paying attention to what I'm doing, but I also get, you know, half a dozen comments on, Oh, check this out. Or maybe you like this, or maybe try this method. And so that, that like building back into that community of what we're doing as makers, I think is like really important and really uh, a good way to focus our energies as makers and people who are always putting ourselves out there in the world is like, how we, how can we do this to make ourselves better? Um, and one of the things I actually was listening to the Making It podcast, which is Jimmy Duresta and Bob Claggett and Dave Picciuto, and uh, they had almost the same thing. They were talking about stuff, and they were saying how uh, Dave thinks about everything that he's done as almost a catalog of work over the years. So he's kind of keeping this, uh, you know, the scrapbook of everything he's done and cataloging all this stuff. And it's all there. And at some point, someone is going to find all this stuff and be able to use it all. And whether he does, you know, four, uh, like framing jigs over the course of five, 10 years or so, you know, it's, it's all there in a catalog. It's all like looking back and seeing what he's done and, you know, making this, uh, this network of, of information that his family and his children can use and everyone else in the world can use as well. And that was just, that was inspiring. I was like, yeah, that's it. You know, there's something there about kind of building this network of information that people will be able to access in the future and, and see some of the stuff that we did. And and then I think it will be really fun just even from now back to like 2017, looking back at some of our earlier videos and the differences and you know, how far we've come. And that's why I was shocked. when you said, yeah, just <laughs> you started making this. a grinder in November. I was like, that's, it that was only a year ago. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Um, was that, was that the podcast that, um, uh, was that the podcast that did the superpower question? Yeah. Yeah, that's good. So, um, <clears throat> I wanted to ask this, uh, so they did their theme for this week and it's funny, like sometimes the making podcasts, they always just talk about what they're working on, which is just fascinating, especially, I mean, I love, uh, Jimmy Duress's stuff. I've always loved Jimmy since ever, like since I started, before I started a YouTube channel, before I started making knives. My wife would, I'd be watching YouTube on my phone and she'd hear all the sped up uh, power tools. And she'd be like, oh, you're watching another Duresta video? <laughs> so she knew that <laughs> high speed Duresta. But, um, I'd watch they, him do anything, by the way. I know, exactly. I, I'm fascinated. The The last one I um, really, that really sunk into me was the leatherwork piece that he did, the bag. Yeah. I don't know if you saw that one where he made kind of like a little suitcase bag thing. And it, it's it it amazes me at the different things he can do, mm-hmm. you know. One minute he's using a lathe, and then the next minute he's making something out of leather, and he's doing it in such a way that makes it look like he's a master at yeah, it. Right. And and I believe he is. I mean, I just I yeah. it blows my mind. And he films yeah. it, and it looks good too. Yeah, and he just did a uh, they just put out on the rocking chair that he was working on. He did kind of a behind the scenes like how this is how we shoot videos, you know, just like a behind the scenes video of that whole thing on his channel for the for the rocking chair which was going on Rockler's channel, and um, it was really cool to see him talking about it and being a little bit more like vulnerable in the video because all of his videos didn't he's not talking through it at least not the ones that he puts on YouTube. 
uh, so you just see all the stuff happening and yeah, it's so flawless. It's always like he's using this tool and then this tool and this tool. He's got this giant shop of all these amazing tools and, uh, he can use them all and use them all in super, you know, creative ways that I would never even think. Yeah. It's just, um, it blows my mind real quick before you go on to the, the superpower thing. Yeah. How do you guys feel about the sped up sound of video matching, you know, the, the high speed stuff? I know Brian, you do it. You you leave in the sped up noise. How do you feel about dust? Do you feel either way? Because um, so, what I've been doing in our videos is I've been well. Usually, when there's a a sped up part, it's a bit of a montage thing where we just let you work for like an hour and then I put a little music over it. And what I've been doing is putting the live regular speed sound under it, so right. you can hear you working on things so like like it's live but then have it sped up and i've been doing that instead of the 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 fast speed noise just because i like it a little better do you do you see um an advantage either way well i think my <clears throat> my opinion on that is that it it doesn't bother me when i'm watching a video and there's sped up sound mm-hmm because I'm watching it, right? So I understand what's going on. I, okay, now they're speeding up and the sound's sped up, right? It's all there. It's all part of what we do as makers in a shop. Um, it would it would really annoy Nicole, my wife, when I was watching videos with the sped up sound because she's not watching it. And then I there was something she was watching on her phone and it was the same way around where there was something sped up and I was like, oh, that's so annoying. So I think I think it just, it I think it matters if, if you're watching it, you understand what's happening then you're in that position. You're kind of in the position of what's happening. So you understand it. Um, but also I think I notice sometimes, and I think really, I notice it more often now, especially on, uh, Adam Savage's videos when the sound doesn't match up, but I think it's usually because it's, um, not necessarily sped up. So there's something happening and the sound doesn't really match up with what they're doing. And that annoys me a little bit more, mm. but I, I think, think when it comes down to it, Oh, go yeah, ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Wait, I was going to say, one, one I, think, I, I think when it's happening. Yeah. Um, did did the sound just drop out for you guys? No. No. Well, I was talking, ah, so. Damn. Okay. It dropped out on my end. I just wanted to make sure we had it right. We can cut this part out, but. No, we're good. Can you can you say what you said right before that again, Dust? Uh, yeah. Saying, so I was. Were, <clears throat> all right, go ahead. I was just saying that, like, with that, you know, what I could, when I can see the sped up sound when I'm looking at it, it doesn't bother me. Um, but when I'm watching a video and the sound doesn't match up, but it's normal speed that bothers me more. So if I see something happening, that's normal speed and the sound's not matching up because maybe there's, there's just a a fill. I I see that and I, I notice it and it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't really bother me. I still watch them. I don't really care, but I think I notice it then more. Right. What about think, you, Brian? I, I know you do the uh, sped up sound thing. I think it's it's fine. Uh, what do you th- how do you feel about that? It comes down to style for me. You know, I think for you, for the art of craftsmanship, uh, I watch your videos and get a lot of education. It also feels a little bit like a PBS, you know, kind of public access, um, awesome made show. Uh, I f- it feels very grassroots to me, mm. uh, and the. I dig how you do it. So the sped up video with the regular sound, it's funny that you mention it because I've noticed it. And I, <laughs> and I think to myself, 
that's a really cool thing that he does that. And it's because you're working in high speed, but it's still relaxed, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I feel like when I'm doing it and it's like I'm, you know, you know, I'm kind of bouncing around, it's, it's more high energy. Whereas I, th- I feel like the art of craftsmanship is kind of like I'm watching something happen over time and I, I feel like uh, the energy is very relaxed and you're doing things and you're building things and it doesn't matter. You know, it's kind of like the Bob, you know, you've heard this Bob Ross of, <laughs> yeah. of, of, of knife making or ax, uh, um, uh, restoration, but it is that for me and I get relaxed when I watch it and it makes me feel good to be a part of a community where something like that exists. So, um, yeah, I I I would just keep doing what you're doing cuz I I noticed it it and for me when I speed up video it's because I just don't have the time for editing and you know I right. I edit a lot you know but but it's it it takes time and I and like I've always said to about you guys and I say it to you or to the world a lot is that I love how much care you put into your work mm-hmm. and uh, that is something that is is kind of rare these days so continue putting that care in because it means something to me and a whole bunch of other people too. Yeah. I was going to say, right. I don't know if, <clears throat> I don't know if that's, it was a conscious decision, Devin, but that makes sense. Yeah. That there's, there's the flow and yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm, that's how, you know, m- me as a really laid back person and I'm a teacher. So I'm used to talking to people that way and kind of encouraging people and going, you know, moving to, especially as a uh, architecture or 3d design teacher, you know, I'm working with students on art and you got to kind of, coax them along in a certain way at a certain speed. You can't really push them super fast. Um, and, uh, yeah. I think obviously I think you have taken that into consideration as filming. And so that just seems like it rolled over. That's great. And Brian, you put it into like words perfectly that it just, it feels right for the channel. Yeah. I think, mm. I mean, my decision to do it was just because that's the way at the time when I started doing it, that I liked that better for what we were doing. And I think that's how most people that's best. You don't want to copy anyone. You don't want to do the sped up sound necessarily because uh, Jimmy Duresta does it or other people do it. And uh, I, I think it just worked. And a lot of times Dustin will either listen to music and chat while those, cause I'm just sitting there. So Dustin and I are talking and we're listening to music and we don't, I don't really want to, have that in the background right. us like us chatting and whatever song playing at 1000 times speed and so i guess it's just a necessity thing have you okay. ever uh watched um scott turner you know who he is um gosh he's in australia can't think of the name no. of his youtube channel Mm-mm. but um scott uh does this thing where he listens to music and and uh, the whole time while he's working and he speeds it up and it's just, you know, it sounds like somebody playing a record at, you know, triple the amount of speed. <laughs> um, and I love Scott's work. In fact, uh, working on some stuff with him, hopefully in the future here um, with the grinder project. Cause I think he needs a grinder. And, uh, <laughs> but uh, the, it, I, in, on his channel, it works, you know, but mm-hmm. I could not see it for what you guys do. I just feel like it's, the energy it's it's a very i like i t- i have some ownership over the art of craftsmanship if that makes any sense like i feel like i when i watch it like i'm there and um when i watch channels where they speed things up it feels like i'm just a spectator mm-hmm. i'm just on the outside right. looking in mm-hmm. whereas when i watch art of craftsmanship i'm in your workshop i'm hanging out 
I'm I'm there and uh, I'm I'm doing my thing with you, or I'm just kind of chilling out and having a glass of wine and watching what you're doing. But I'm yeah. I'm there. I, I re, you do a really great job of taking the viewer and putting them in the workshop. Right. Well, <clears throat> thank you. We uh, we tried early on. We we have battled about not battled really, but we've discussed over how much we want to show. And and since the beginning, we didn't want to do a lot of sped up things, um, just because. It's interesting that you I, talked about it. Yeah, that you actually I, had yeah, that we, conversation. We, right, we had what we wanted, what we thought would be cool, and it could be a little different. But, and that was mainly just because I'm there. I, I don't want to sit there for an hour. It's not just Dustin shooting, so I don't want to do nothing for an hour. And we figured we're gonna we're it's just gonna be long videos. That's just how it's gonna be. And if it if people don't like it, I guess they won't watch the long videos. But we're gonna try to show everything. At least once, even when we do the sped up stuff, I try we try to show it a few times normal speed just so they can see the rhythm, see how Dustin's doing it, and then we'll jump to fast stuff. But anyway, that was a long, <laughs> long get around to come to Dustin, your your superhero question. Uh, <clears throat> so yeah, so in the <clears throat> the uh, the making it podcast, uh, Jimmy's theme for the week was. Or what he was talking about was each of us has a superpower. <clears throat> and so I had mentioned to Devin that I was going to ask you and him uh, about what you thought your superpower was. Now it's, that's a, it's, it's a loaded question, but you know, we all are makers and doers. And, and so we do lots and lots of stuff. So we have, you know, little things that we're good at all over the place or, you know, things we're really good at all over the place. But if you had to kind of, put your own superpower, the thing that you think you're the best at, and it doesn't have to be an actual, like a making thing, but like, what is it about you that makes you special? Um, at, so because Devin had a little bit more time to think about it, I'll ask him first and then we'll go with you, Brian. So that way you can think about it a little bit as well. But you know, what is it if you were, if you were filling out a resume and the resume said, you know, my superpower is, this is the thing that I'm really good at. What would that be? <laughs> Uh, yeah, thinking about my, it's just, I guess your, your superpower is what I would say. It's always the thing that comes easiest to you. Mm. And that happens in, you hear great people who play basketball or who do this. They always make it look easy, whether it is or not. Um, I, I guess what comes easy to me is planning out shots for videos, uh, while you're, you're, while you're doing it dust. So just. I guess planning out editing in my head before time as we're going, it's, it doesn't seem to be a, a difficult thing and I like doing it. So I feel like whatever you like doing and whatever you're decent at is probably going to be your superpower. Mm. And that's mine. Just <clears throat> being able to edit in my head as I'm shooting and having it kind of prepared beforehand, knowing this is what it will look like. And these are the shots I need and it not, I don't need to write it down or anything. I just follow you, Dust, and, and figure it out on the go. Nice. Yeah, like that. That it makes sense. That's kind of that. I think if I were to put it into like shorter terms, it would say like the ability to organize an idea in the middle of the idea, like doing something and organizing mm -hmm. your future, what you're going to work on it in your head all at one time, keeping like all right. those things together. That's pretty cool. I think that's a lot of uh, what good uh, shooters and editors they do they're constantly shooting for the edit constantly yeah. knowing if they're not editing a good shooter will still shoot for the edit and they know what they need what their coverage is 
So it kind of makes it easier that I'm going to edit it also. So I, I know what I want and I know what I like already. So I'm just going along and uh, making it happen. All right, Brian, <clears throat> what's your superpower? Ooh, well, I would say I'm going to go full ego maniacal on this one. I'm going to say it, buddy. that's what I want. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I just I think this is something I've worked on where it, it wasn't like a gift. It's something you have to kind of work on. But um, I have this ability to see patterns and visualize. And it's kind of what you're saying too, Devin, is like you're, you're shooting for the edit. When I do anything, like any endeavor, I will like sit down and think about it and play out the entire scenario from front to back. So I'll just try to think about what it looks like to begin and then what I want it to look like at the end. And then how I'm going to achieve that, you know, whatever it is. And that can be creating a piece of content or building a business or designing and prototyping a machine. I um, I don't know if you remember, but years ago, this this like fad uh, thing came out called um, The Secret. Do you remember this thing where it was mm-hmm. um, the manifestation? They And they talk a lot about like being able to envision what you want sit down and like fully focus on it and then see it occurring, you know, and then that would be the thing. And they use like really cheese ball, you know, examples in the, in the movie. It was like, if you really want that bicycle, you have to envision what color it is and what's the brand name and all that stuff. And it was very money driven. It was very, very kind of weird, but whatever, I guess that makes sense. Um, and I and I remember them talking about how uh, the different like automobile manufacturers like Henry Ford and um, the guy that started um, Firestone Tires and uh, like all all the all the you know these big business moguls Rockefeller they use these vision visionary techniques where they mm-hmm. would sit and they would visualize what they wanted they would visualize their goal and then they would it's ultimately just kind of writing things down and like saying like hey this is what I want out of life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've got that ability. Like I can now I've, I've pretty much perfected it. You know, I can sit down and go, all right, this is what I want. I can visualize it. I'm going to go do it and make it happen. And I, I, I really think that's the key to my success where I manifest stuff. Mm. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah. D- determination combined with putting it out there. So other people can hold you accountable for it. I think mm-hmm. is a strong thing. Cause if you say, if it's just in your brain, like, Hey, I want to make a YouTube channel. No one knows. And no one knows if you don't get on it. But if you say it to someone or your friend or your wife, Hey, I'm going to make a YouTube channel. Hopefully they hold you to a little bit and you have that out there. Yeah. Yeah. I also think just, um, having like having that ability to go from a dream to reality. And even if you're just visualizing in your head, you, you gotta, you, to be able to visualize it, you have to know where you're starting and where you're ending. And then inevitably just visualizing it, you're going to start filling in the dots in between and making it a timeline or a chain of events then makes it manageable. Um, and I'll relate that a little bit back to when my, my wife also had had cancer in 2011 and it was a really, really scary situation when we first found out. But then once we realized, once we went into the doctor and found out the steps and the process to get from having cancer to not having cancer, it made it much more manageable. 
It's like, we'll do this step and this step and this step and this step. And it made it, we could see the progression and we could see what the end goal was. And it was like, okay, we can do that. You know, it, it might suck in between. It might not, it might take us a while to get over here, but we can see it happening. And I see, th- I, I mean, mm-hmm. I definitely see that in your channel that you're like, all right, I have this dream. I have this vision. Now let's work through it and get to the end. You know, think about it in beforehand. Cause obviously we're not, we're not making, we're not making YouTube videos really on the fly. You know, we are as makers. I'm always like, I think I know what the end should look like before I start it. And so, mm. you know, seeing that process, I think your channel, you know, the, the way your channel comes across, it's very like clean and dynamic images. And you see that like the process is there. It's like, boom, this, this is where it's going to happen. This is where I'm going to go. This is the plan. You know, we see the CAD drawings, we see the end thing, we see you building everything. And then all the, like the social media stuff you put out there. The, I feel like those are all those chain links that went from that first idea to your final, you know, vision being made. Mm. That's cool. What's yours, Dust? Uh, I think so. I was thinking about this when they were doing theirs, and uh, so I've had a lot of time to think about it. But now I'm, you know, <laughs> it's always like last second. I'm like, hey, what was it though? Uh, I think that my superpower is like a is a is a social superpower. I think that I make people around me feel comfortable, um, and putting That's them a in a situation That's where really they good. feel comfortable. Yeah, then they can do stuff or they'll talk or they'll make something or feel safe with me to, to talk about something. And, uh, that's one of those things that when I was younger and I had, you know, teenage years, I had friends and like drama relationships, everyone would come to me and talk to me about their problems. <laughs> I was like, Oh, it's so <laughs> annoying. You know, I'm always the middleman because everyone's like, Oh, you know, you're really sensitive and you'll listen and you, you know, I feel comfortable. <laughs> I come to talk to you. So it wasn't always, the as long as it thing. wasn't other girls, <laughs> right? What do I do? There's now? this other boy. I like, My what boyfriend. do I do? <laughs> I don't know. Don't date him. Date me. I don't yeah, know. Right, exactly. Disarming but, yeah. Dustin O'Hara. <laughs> right. But yeah, I think that's, you know, you're very disarming. It's true. You really are. Yeah. I, I was like, yeah, it's, you know, I, I, I feel I think, very comfortable around you. I, I don't think I, I don't think I'd mind taking my shirt off in front of you. You know, oh, you're that kind of guy, you know, I you're just, like I have you this know, weird spot. Have a few beers and, you know, <laughs> yeah. Can you take a look at this? Yeah. Right. So right on top of my muffin top us. right here. <laughs> Like, oh, it's just, <laughs> just Dustin. I don't mind, you know. Come on, I hang out. Oh, I can't wait. I, I take our shirts off. It, yeah, <laughs> I know where yeah. all your tools are. I, you know, I, know, I, can, right? I can just, you know, work in your workshop just like I've been there. Yeah. <laughs> I always think about that a little oh, bit. I'm like, you know, showing what's out around me, and you know, like, yeah, oh, someone shows up here, they're gonna know exactly where to get all this stuff that I have that I keep in my basement shop unlocked. <laughs> that, uh, I think. Oh, no, you that mean when you I mean watch. you. You mean really? It's locked up very well, Dust, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, yeah. You would never be able <laughs> with to get cameras. It. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I think about that when I watch like Casey Neistat. You know, like yeah. I mean, he just kind of shows everything, and and uh, I use that as like a gauge because he's just so exposed, and he's mm-hmm. he's let himself you know kind of be exposed and transparent, which is the reason for his um, success, I think. Yeah, and he's super interesting. His life is interesting, but. Um, you know, the guy, you know, he gets, he gets a lot of people, I would imagine trying to find him where he is and wherever he lives and stuff. So, yeah, it was, uh, <clears throat> was it, um, uh, Adam Savage posted a, uh, something like a year ago or so about like where the cave is, 
he didn't say exactly where it was, but he like gave some clues. And then I think there were some people who found out where it was. I mean, I, I don't think he's trying to like hide it, you know, he's, but, but you know, I was like, Oh, that's so cool. And then he had like a, you could look at his, uh, his workshop, the cave in like a 3d view. And I was like, Oh, well, if you look at 3d view here, can we like zoom out in Google and find out exactly where it is? It's like just a normal. <laughs> and that, yeah. Yeah. Feeling like connected, like, Oh, that's where his shop is. It's just there like on a normal street in a normal, like, you know, place in San Francisco. It's not you know, some mansion somewhere and some amazing, crazy thing. Every time I'm in New York, I have to go to three, six, eight, you know, and just, walk past it because i just feel like a connection to it you know so it's like i'm there oh this is cool you know what's that what's i'm like eight? that's uh casey neistat's oh um, yeah gotcha yeah his his, his well his i don't know he doesn't have it there, there anymore or yeah. whatever but that at the time he did yeah um <clears throat> i wanted to bring up brian i i think i think you should do more vlog videos again why, why have you slowed down with those speaking of like someone like casey neistat I think uh, my my um, approach was wrong with the vlog, and um, yeah, that's a good question. I've I've thought about doing more of those. In fact, the people that love watching my channel have asked me the same thing. Um, I think it's because I shouldn't title them vlogs. That was my mm -hmm. biggest mistake. Is that I I think you know the, they didn't get a lot of traction because I would just title them vlog number whatever workshop blog vlog whatever. And what I realized was is that I think the term vlog is ha, you know got some like negative sort of connection to it now because there's so many people doing it. Yep. Um, whereas like guys like Cody on Wrangler Star, he vlogs, but none of his vlogs are labeled vlogs, you know. Right, and right. we watch them because he's got catchy titles and great thumbnails and. Um, so I just stopped doing them because no one was watching them. So I just thought, all right, I'll just continue on with my path. But you're right. I miss doing them. Like my, I think about it every day. I'm like, I should do a workshop update, you know, and, and no one, you know, people aren't really kind of tuned in with what I'm doing. And I'm like, ah, no one's going to watch that, you know, so I, I just don't <laughs> do it. And, um, and, but I think my approach was wrong. So I do, I do need to take another stab at it. I think, cause I could yeah. produce one of those in like one day, like I could yeah. just shoot it and edit it all in one day. That's, and that's right. what, like, that's the thing that we don't really have because we're filming together, you know, that, and that's why I've kind of done some of the live streams and stuff is because I want to be able to do something in a day, sit down and work and hang out. And then it's like up on the channel. So it's mm. almost instant content. And I think that's one of the things that I really like, I really liked about your vlogs is that it just felt like it was like, oh, this is what's happening in the shop. You know, and I think you do a lot of that on, um, Instagram stories and you know and the YouTube stories and stuff like that as well. So we see that there where you're like capturing what's happening in the shop. But uh you know that's just yeah, I, more content, I really like you know? the energy on Instagram. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Instagram has some really great energy. Uh I you know YouTube um where I get a lot of traction on YouTube for certain things, I get a lot of different traction on Instagram. And mm -hmm. it, it's it's so hard though to span your attention across two different platforms, but it's really necessary because if you yeah. really want to cover all of those types of viewers, you can do like a one minute video. Like I've, I've done some one minute stuff on Instagram that I shot on my phone in one take that's gotten like five or 10,000 views yeah. <laughs> on Instagram, you know? Yeah. And I'm thinking, wow, that's a lot of views, you know, but it's only one minute, you know, but right. it's like, man, that's, that's a powerful platform. 
you know, mm-hmm. and you can really do some stuff. And I get a lot of traction with that. So I think from a content standpoint, you know, I'm building a business on YouTube too. So it's like at the same time I'm building a business, I'm doing my thing and it's got to kind of make money in order for it to make sense. But at the same time, I want to make sure that I'm giving my doing my best as far as like creating content that's valuable, even if it doesn't have anything to do with my business at all. And that's a real fine line you walk. You know, it, yeah. it, I don't, you know, somebody called me the Ron Papil of two by 72 belt grinders, which I love Ron <laughs> Papil. So, I, you know, hey, that's a compliment to me, but they thought it was a derogatory statement. But I, <laughs> I really awesome. love Ron Papil, man. Yeah. I mean, Ronco, when you learn the story about Ron Papil and Ronco, oh my gosh, the, it's, it's inspiring. And um, he's not just a pitch man. Right. He actually designed all those, those kitchen gadgets himself. Um, but, uh, you know, you can get sucked into the concept of, you know, when you're doing something on YouTube, are you doing it for the views? Are you doing it to drive people to your website? Are you doing, you know, what are you doing with your time there? And I ha- actually had a competitor reach out to me and say, say like, what's your strategy? You know, I, I'm, I'm curious because, you know, you're, you're creating all this content on YouTube and you're basically showing everybody how you build your stuff. Right. And I went, right, I'm giving them value. And when they decide they want to buy it from me, they can. If they don't, they can build it themselves and learn a new skill. I don't so much care about the money as I care about the community and the value that I'm bringing to it. Um, And and I got a real sense from that person that they really only just cared about the business side of things. And um, I'm not that way. You know, I love business development. I think capitalism is great. I love that. I think it's fantastic. There's a limit, though. Like, you you know, when you do something like now with today with the power you have on online, you get you can choose. You know, you can say, I'm going to be the guy that just, you know, sells this and just be that guy and paint that picture. Or you can get to know me and um, we can do this together and you can learn, you can do it yourself. I'll even send you the plans, you know, whatever you want. Um, Because I care enough about it and I think about it uh, enough, but I can also make a living doing it. You know, I can be on the fringe. I could still say like, I'm creating value and bringing all this stuff to the marketplace, but you don't have to buy it. And and that's cool with me too. I'll still hang out, you know? I I love both ends of it and I'll always be a Gemini in that regard. I'm, I'm, on both ends of the spectrum, I can't. I cannot make a decision. I won't. I refuse. I won't, I won't do it. And I, you know, I still think that's the better business decision anyway, because you can actually you can tell when there's a company who's making something, and then they come up with a YouTube channel, and mm-hmm. they're they're not into it. It's just something else. But if if maybe go the other way, if you can create the YouTube channel, get the following, and then start to bring something out, people are already following along with you. And then they they'll be more willing to jump on to what you're selling. Yeah, and business is not done the same way as it was done even ten years ago. Mm. I try to explain this to people when they're telling me these stories about, well, I have this product, and I, I now I have to go get a patent, and I have to make sure that no one can steal it. And I, I use the example mm. of 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 like a car or even a cooler. Like remember when Yeti coolers came out? You know, you could keep mm-hmm. ice for like you know six days, and it was this great design. Look mm-hmm. at how many knockoffs there are of yeah, that cooler absolutely. now. Right. Every car has a steering wheel. Every car has four wheels. Um, you're, you can sit and try to patent stuff all day long and do all that and fight that good fight. But 
when you truly give something out to a community, you truly build something that you really love and then you just build it anyway and you just put it out there, it's one it's like you're people can tell that they know like you know, if I if I was just building grinders to sell grinders to make a million bucks, there's a lot of easier ways to make a million bucks, you know. Yeah, it, it's absolutely. it's it, it isn't for that, I I wake up every day thinking about tracking mechanisms. I know it sounds stupid, but I do. I could make ten more videos on tracking mechanisms. I won't do it. I promise, I won't do it. But I could. Um, there's so much there. It's there's more than one axis. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I'm always thinking about. It. But at, at the same time, it's like. And then you know how many people message me on a daily basis? When are you gonna have that tracking mechanism done? Yep. I can't wait to get that tracking mechanism. I want to buy one from you. Will you at your logo into it you know all these things and i'm thinking to myself wow look what we've built out of <laughs> right. nothing you know yep. it's just so cool to me man i and love the, it because they're and, they're paying for a great. piece of you right that's that's the idea is yeah. that now you've created something where there's a following of people um and and everyone's like in anytime anyone asks me now where should i buy a grinder i say if you have the ability to weld or make a and make something at all go to Brian house and, you know, house, go to housemade.us and look up his, you know, his, his stuff and go check him out. And like, I send them all to you because, you know, we had that connection. I've bought into you as a person. And that's like what, you know, it's like if I was going to buy a grinder and now, you know, practice my welding skills, buy another one, I'd buy your kit. You know, it's even that, I mean, you're not, it's, it's not crazy expensive. You've found a way to like hit this market, especially at the, like the perfect time. I mean, everyone's really into knife making and grinders are huge right now. And there's lots of different companies, but you have this awesome, you know, platform to, to show who you are as a person and people want to buy into that. And I, you know, we felt, I felt the same way and things that I do on my channel, people just want a part of that. You know, they're, I think it's still a niche group of people that want that person, you know, want that connection between what they're buying, but that, that niche is big enough now that we have this, this avenue that we can reach out to the entire world, you know, people everywhere. So, yeah, I, I want to, cool, I want to make sure that everybody has the right kind of tools, you yep. know, to do their creative endeavors and, um, the, the some of the places we've sent grinders it's crazy i don't know what i don't know what is going on in the food production television world but we've had multiple television studios buy revolution grinders out in um santa barbara and la and and hmm. i don't know how or why huh. but they, these are all they're all connected because when i look up like their emails like their domain names they're all companies that shoot food Huh. And I'm trying to figure it out. Like we've sent uh, now six grinders out there to independent film production studios that all their portfolios are all food related. And I have no That's idea why. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if it's just, it's just the, uh, you know, th like they probably need a, a shop to build what they need to build. That's what I was thinking too. And like maybe they're like manufacturing things to make food do different things. You know, like right. you know when like the burger's spinning and yeah right know, exactly I, yeah I'm, I don't know I I'm trying to put it all together but I mean I mean the grinder one is is one of definitely the most used tools in my shop and you know I'm not it's not because I'm making knives every day it's because like everything oh, needs yeah. to be sanded and cleaned up and why not do it with a high speed belt that does everything for you and you can get 10 15 20 different grits yeah it's hmm. a 
it's a it's an awesome tool you're speaking my language, Dustin. Yeah. You're getting me all hot. I'm getting sweaty over here. <laughs> yes. All right. Talking about grits and grinders. Yeah. That's yeah. it. Different belts and all yeah, sorts of man, good stuff. Yeah, man, for sure. Well, I, I have a question for both of you guys. So, all right. What, if, in, someone asked me this, and I know this is like a question you get at a job interview, but I'm interested because I want to know from you guys. In five years, if you could do anything in five years, where do you see yourselves? And that could be independent or that could be together as art of craftsmanship. Mm. Go ahead, Dust. Um, well, I mean, I think from the very beginning when we started the YouTube channel and even before that, I mean, I've my entire life since I knew that I was pretty good at making artwork, my goal was always to be an artist. Like, I want to be an artist and sell my stuff and do just be an artist. That's what my goal was. I want to be able to create things and make things. Um, and I think that's still that, that is still my goal. Now I have a different perspective as an adult, you know, what I need to do to do that. And, the, and, you know, teaching has has become a big part of what I do. Um, but really I still would love to just be able to make stuff and put that out there. And, you know, I think some of that is I'm, I'm a very extroverted person, but but there's like nothing like just being in a shop and working and being completely in that moment by yourself and into that thing and creating something. Um, I think I always go back to that for my main goal. Like, so in five years, I'd love to be able to have, have built up enough of a community and, you know, gotten sponsors and things that work with what we want to do the way we want to do it and be able to live off of what we make and create. Um, and I'd love to have that be with Devin in the art of craftsmanship and both be able to make enough stuff and be sustainable enough to be able to keep that going and making things. So, you know, I, I, I would, I love teaching, but I would, I would step away from it to be able to really buckle down and make really good content for YouTube and have that community progress that way too. So that was what I was going to ask. So making art in your head is making art the same as making content on YouTube, do you feel like it's the it gives you the same kind of satisfaction? Yeah, yeah, because um, you know we're, we're in a unique position where I don't have to do the behind the scenes stuff. I don't well, I don't have to do the the filming and the editing. Um, and I love Devin for that. You know, that's that's his art. He likes doing that. I like making stuff. And so obviously the mindset's different, right? We're in a we're in a studio creating things, but. Um, you know, I, I definitely, everything I make is stuff that I'm, I'm interested in making. So when I, I'm, you know, from the idea to completion, that's my artwork. And that's why the channel is the art of craftsmanship because making something is the art. Um, and whether that's doing a painting or making a spoon, you know, that's there, it's, it's <laughs> me like using my hands to create something. Um, I don't see the difference between those two things, fine art and craftsmanship that it's all one thing to me. It's me coming up with an idea in the beginning and, finishing it at the end, whether that's mixing paint on a palette and putting it on a surface or grinding and cutting and trimming and shaping and, you know, welding, it's all the same thing. Right and on. I yeah. also think that I get enough out of the channel where I feel like I'm teaching and working with community, which is what I really have always enjoyed about teaching is like that, that exchange of, um, of uh, creativity that, you know, I always feel inspired by my students and I like to inspire them. And I, that exchange is what is really exciting to me about teaching 
And so I feel like I get that from the channel too. Hmm. Yeah. You have a, you have an end product that you're proud of and you want to stare at and look at and sit in your hand or sit across the room and look at it. And, <laughs> and hundreds of thousands of people do too. You, know, right. you have this audience that is watching and, and that's just must be so satisfying, you know, to, to know that you're bringing entertainment and education and art all at the same time. Yeah. To all these right. people. And Dustin, he feels just as passionately about it as he does in the videos or even more so since he's so calm. But when we're done shooting at night and when we're, sometimes done the video he'll just he'll take whatever it is and take it upstairs with him and just play with it all night and just sit and look at it <laughs> oh that's and a hold great it. piece of information i love that that's so cool man he like a kid it. like you made something and mm -hmm. you're like oh man that's great that's we'll, i love that we go up we take it up and we i say goodbye to um nicole and corinne and then he shows it off and then he just sits with it and stands with it and i think that's the same thing Dustin does for paintings, right? Dustin, yep, you'll absolutely you'll finish it and then you'll sit it right in the corner of the room and just look at it. Yeah, live with it. it. I would say that. I like to I like to live with that end product for a while. Sometimes I see things that I need to change, and that's part of that process. But it's also just like, look at this cool thing I've made. You know, like, and they get they get cooler and cooler as the years go on because the the end product is that much. You know, it's like the experiences you've gained and. Like man, now look at this. You know, I look at a knife I made <laughs> when I started back in college in you know 2006, maybe 2005, 2006, and then what I'm making now, you know, 10, 12, 15 years later, and I'm like, man, look at the end product. But I was just as excited about the you know the first end product. It's just like that. Look, I've made this item. I always thought that way about paintings too. I always thought there's like like a preciousness to them. I was always, I'm always very tactile. So when I'm at a museum, I wish we could touch the paintings. And I could just say to the guard, like, it's okay. I'm an artist. I'm a painter. I'll touch. I'll touch it. Because if the if sir, the artist it's was the there, Mona Lisa, sir, back up, back up. <laughs> if the artist was there, no, no, it's you know, okay. Like, when people like when other artists come into my studio or when I was in college, I'd be like, oh yeah, check here, feel this texture, you know, like feel the surface here. It's so cool, you know, because I knew they could appreciate that. <laughs> so there's always been that kind of it's this item, this this uh, object, you know, an objective kind of quality to painting that I've always loved. I think just rolled over really easily into making everything else <laughs> it's okay i'm an artist yeah right exactly <laughs> i'm all right sir we put the croissant down we saw his butter on your hands you cannot touch mona lisa <laughs> i love your french accent that's the best i've never heard devin do a french accent before <laughs> i've been there once so yeah, yeah you know. an expert <laughs> yeah, croissant. Oh, the croissant crescent roll um, <laughs> So yeah, I guess mine's kind of the same uh, as dust, and it's. I would love to have. You see all these people build custom shops. If we could build an art of craftsmanship shop, um, on one of our future properties, and have that, and also have an area. Dustin's talked about it, where we can get together with other people, and that's. When Dustin first said that, it, it wasn't. I, I wasn't interested in that. Like, it, it's fine, but I. I don't. I don't feel a need to get around with uh, with a bunch of other people from the community, but now, I guess all this the COVID stuff and not seeing anyone was like, yeah, that, that'd be awesome just to have people come up and we could do our own events and like there's events we want to go to that other creators have have um what was it what's the Jimmy Duresta one that just got canceled dust the yeah, maker, maker camp uh, maker camp camp stuff yeah. like yeah. that go to those mm -hmm. uh, we want to go to those and we want to. We'd love to start our own 
you know, in a few years, have everyone come up. I have could you see bro- that. Yeah, that Have you come great. up, Brian? We could do it around here or maybe go to Western Maryland in the mountains or West Virginia somewhere, have some type of camping making thing. But yeah, you guys would sell out. I mean, there'd be so many people that would want to come, I think to that. Yeah. I would love to do something like that. And and it's always, yeah, we, we're not trying to get rich. We just want to make a little money. So this is the main thing we we can do. And I still think I would work for certain sports teams, but right now I have to kind of do them all. I have to do Baltimore teams and I have to do DC teams. And that's a, that's a long haul down to, uh, Nats park and, um, the Washington football team stadium, uh, previous Redskins stadium or FedEx mm-hmm. field. Right. Those are all a bit of a trip to go down there and work. But, um, if I could maybe just do O's and art of craftsman's art of craftsmanship stuff, I'd be, I'd be a happy fella. Yeah. How about you, Brian? What do you think? Five years, five years. Hmm. Uh, I definitely would whittle it down to one business. That's for sure. Cause I'm, <laughs> I'm having a struggle yeah. right now doing like running two. And mm-hmm. I think it's like more or less like I, I love both, you know, I love doing both, but I have to pick it's, 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 um, because I, I can't give my full attention to either of them. Right. Um, and, uh, so, but, uh, the it thing, it, it definitely sunsetting the it thing, you know, um, mm-hmm. it, it was a great run and, uh, I love doing it, but, uh, you know, I passed the leadership role off to, to somebody in my staff and, and that gave me the time to do what I'm doing now, which is creating content and building uh, machines. And um, in five years, my plan is very similar to yours, where, uh, you know, I've already started looking at real estate, buying a bigger space mm-hmm. and uh, like a big, big space uh, that um, where we could do exactly what you're talking about, doing camps uh, where people come learn uh, and then, um, you know, we make things, build things, manufacture things, sort of a, like a STEM type type of uh, connection point where, you, you yep. know, I have an issue with some, you know, educational places that don't, they don't teach real world stuff. Sometimes I feel like, you know, to see a guy actually doing it uh, sort of like an internship style uh, learning situation where people could come and learn how to do certain things uh, would be really fantastic. And, um, not all the time. I think I would, you know, that would be a few times a year only, but it yeah, would be right. enough to kind of float me along and pay the pay the light bill and all that. And then, <laughs> you know, just make stuff and make content and keep sharing and keep connecting with, with this wonderful community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nice. Heck yeah, man. That's, it's been so much fun. And, you know, I think just like you starting to use uh, the podcast and then, you know, given us the like the kick in the butt that we needed to, like to start a podcast which is just super fun and yeah it's 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 a fun ride man it's it's crazy i just i'm it just blows my mind when i see the numbers of people who are watching our stuff and following along and listening and you know subscribers and followers and it's it's a it's a funny it's like a little touch of fame but in in a in a really genuine way you know, I feel like this it's is really the best nice. way to be famous. That's the yeah. way I look at it. If you're yeah, going to be absolutely. famous for anything like this is, yeah, 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 the best yeah way, it's great. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we're, um, uh, we're getting to the end. Um, Devin's uh, baby and wife are hungry. <laughs> um, yeah. so we will, uh, we'll finish off the podcast too. with our, uh, with our recommendations. Um, Wait, hang on, hang on. We, we need uh Brian's disaster story. Ah, right. Okay. Oh, disaster story. Yes. Well, yeah. this yeah. this is a. 
I, I uh, make very few mistakes, so this is a this is a tough one for me. <laughs> but um, uh, I actually had one. <laughs> I actually had one happen today. Um, uh, I and I I actually sent a video to um, to Dustin on accident on text because I'm I was right before the podcast. This is like a classic like maker story, right? <laughs> right before the podcast, I'm I'm actually I got my kiln at like uh, seventeen hundred degrees, and I'm heat treating some knives. And uh, I had worked the past uh, about month on these uh, blades on and off. And then and I just did a really massive run on about four of these um, uh, collaboration knives I'm doing with a guy named uh, Ben Siegel. Um, he's up in your neck of the woods, guys. And um, right. he uh, so I'm trying to push him out to get him out to him. And um, I finish all the grinding I'm ready for heat treat. Everything's ready. I'm, I've got, you know, my holes drilled and the tang and, uh, you know, I grab all four blades and I turn to um, walk towards the kiln and one blade slips out of my hand and lands oh. tip down on oh. the concrete oh. and just bends the tip, you know, oh. just like, you know, cause they're thin, they're, they're culinary knives. So they're very thin. And, um, but good news is like with any knife you can, before heat treat, you can pretty much reshape a knife pretty easily, you know? So mm -hmm. this one knife won't be the same but it would be a little bit smaller, a little bit shorter. And, uh, and it was, I was rushing around, you know, I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to be on the podcast. I'm setting up my microphone. I'm in the studio and I'm kind of doing my thing here. And, uh, yeah, it was just, Hey, you know, sometimes things like that happen. And, and it, and, you know, initially I thought, Oh, and my gut like took a mm. turn and I had just made, it was just so annoyed. Cause you know, you, you work up to this point and it's yeah. a lot of work to get where you are. And then one little minor thing like that, and it Doink. fails and breaks, and mm. and then you have to you have to pivot. So <laughs> I pivoted. Nice, yeah, exactly. You got to be, yeah, you have to have that ability. All right, now yeah. what? Now what can I do with this, with this thing? And you know, not just toss it. It's funny. Um, I hear a lot of people, uh, a lot of knife makers, and I, I I'm a knife maker, but just out of hobby. So I haven't made hundreds of knives. I've made you know maybe couple dozen knives over the years. Um, I, I don't have that like scrap bin of trash knives because everything I've made, if it, if it didn't work exactly the way it wasn't, it wasn't like part of a production. So I just reworked it a different way. And sure. it was like, oh, it didn't turn out this way. So let me try again, you know, I'll try this other way. And eh, it turned out, yeah, now it's just a little shorter knife and maybe it's a carver <laughs> instead of a bushcraft knife, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I have a big drawer full of, you know, steel that's somewhat knife shaped, you know, right. something yeah. went wrong and yeah, mm -hmm. heat treat was botched or a right. warp or whatever. And Hey, you know, that's part of the learning process. And I, those are the knives I pull out when I'm doing my grinder demonstration videos. Yeah. So right. like then, yep. you know, when I'm filming myself doing something and I'm demonstrating something on the grinder, I always just grab one of those junk knives. Some oh. of them are turning into pretty nice little pieces after all that. So. <laughs> there you go. Never yeah. know. Oh, go trick, to housemade.us to buy one. <laughs> it would save uh, save myself and Devin the headache of like, if we screw this up, we got to start all over again and re-record. <laughs> oh, my God. I know, right? Oh, my God. I've done that before, too. Jeez. Yeah. 
Cool, man. Oh, man, that's awesome. I'm glad that you had like one right at the last second. Perfect timing, right? Fresh in your mind. This is the first mistake like, I've ever made, honestly. Yeah, well, I mean, geez, yeah. there you go. I'm <laughs> ready to go. Right before you came to our podcast, we're so lucky. <laughs> Truth be told, I actually did it on purpose so I'd have something to talk about. And, you know, like, here we go. Holding it out and drop it. <laughs> Boing. <laughs> this actually is had the worst. <laughs> yeah, I, I was doing a live stream on Saturday, and I was working on a um, Bushcraft Axe mod and hanging it, and I, I tapped it off of the handle at one point, and it just fell on the floor, and I have... Hmm. Uh, kind of waffle rubber mats on my floor. And I was like, good thing I got these waffle rubber mats on the floor because that definitely just fell blade down. <laughs> I was like, whew. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Good save. All right. Yeah. Uh, recommendations. Do you want to go right to that, Dust? Sure. Yep. Um, so my recommendation this week is a super, super tiny channel. I think um, the guy's under a thousand subscribers, maybe 600, something like that. 700 subscribers. Um, his, the channel name is the thrifty woodworker. And I actually found his channel because I was, uh, I purchased a small vice on Facebook, uh, marketplace. I actually saw this vice, uh, last maybe like Monday morning or something or, or sometime recently. Um, and I, the guy lived close to my brother down in Baltimore. So I made sure it was available. I reached out to my brother and he was able to go pick it up for me. And, but before I did that, I couldn't really tell from the picture, like what size it was. Um, I knew it was kind of small, but it was like three and a half inch jaws. It's a, a, a wards deluxe quality vice. It kind of almost resembles an anvil and had this little pritchel or pritchel, pritchel tool hole in it with a little tool in it. And it's kind of cool. So, um, before I bought it, I went on to YouTube and I just Googled the name of it and I found a video of someone restoring one It happened to be the thrifty woodworker. Um, mm. and I really liked this video. It was really good. And I was like, oh man, he's got, he's got like, you know, under a thousand subscribers and he's doing a good job. And then he's got this, uh. Um, he started a new shop and so he's got like a shop build video and he's using like these old dentist, uh, tables and things and rebuilding and does a really good job and it's really easy to follow along with. And he's shown some stuff and I was actually, uh, it's funny, Devin, I was, I watched his first, um, video for his shop series and he's got three videos. The first one's called like part one shop video or shop video part one, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and the second one was called something like, uh, vice install blah 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 and then shop uh shop build two like at the very end but when you're looking uh -huh. at youtube you, you see the see thumbnail it. and you see the first few words so it took me a while to find it <laughs> and then so i watched that one and i actually commented on it i was like hey just to you know quick like i would suggest that you change the title around to put that in the front so people can see it you know they see it on those first few words of the title and see and then watch the third one. but he actually got back to me he's like oh thanks so much i'll definitely do it but uh it's funny his <laughs> his daughter is uh I didn't actually watch any of her videos but she I think she does a lot of um like makeup and stuff and she actually has almost 250 or or more 1000 subscribers her her channel is mm -hmm. called Smoky Glow. So a lot of the comments were like I was sent over here by Smoky Glow. So but yeah, <laughs> really really easy like easy to watch, just fun. I was like, "Oh, this guy's kind of cool." You know, I liked his I liked the shop build and it was easy to watch and he did some cool stuff and he was also like a little self-deprecating when he would make a mistake. He was like, "Well, that's a mistake." And he just, you know, try again and do it better a second time. So, The Thrifty Woodworker on YouTube. 
There you go. And uh, keeping up with tradition on this channel, I'm going to shout out a channel that needs no shout out. <laughs> um, it's it's the channel that was made by the guys of um, Top Gear and and oh, yeah. the Grand Tour, uh, Jeremy <laughs> Clarkson, Richard Hammond, and James May. Uh, one of the biggest shows on the planet Earth, Top Gear. They don't need <laughs> us, but their YouTube channel, um, Drive Tribe, one word, is great. It's a little bit behind the scenes stuff they're doing. It's them talking, sitting, uh, bitching about cars and stuff and things in London, or them showing their their home garages. And they also have, they produce other things. Um, there's other people that on there that aren't those three guys, the main guys, but uh, so much content. So if you're ever if you're waiting for more Grand Tour or you want more Top Gear style content, they've got really good stuff. Drive Tribe, nice. I've got I've got a uh, recommendation on Instagram. All right, okay. Mark Moore Design, all one one word, and. Uh, He's uh, got 493 followers on Instagram, but his um, his work is stellar. He lives in Victor, New York, and he makes his living uh, making handcrafted sustainable furnishings and sculptures. And his work is amazing. So go check him out. Mm, is that um, M-A-R-K or M-A-R-C? M-A-R-K-M-O-O-R-E design. He also has a website and an Etsy shop. So nice. check him out. Awesome. Sweet. So sustainable furnishings, you're talking about like home furnishings and things and furniture? Yeah, he makes like tables and chairs and he does a lot of nice. metal and wood. I'm super addicted to these guys doing metal and wood collaborations right now. Yeah. I'm watching like just, oh God, I get so sucked into it. I wish I was more creative in that world. I, I need to sit down and design some stuff. But, um, the you know, the even like the tube steel and yeah. wood uh, mixtures are just... I just have a big, a big hard on for him right now. I'm just watching tons of stuff like that. <laughs> nice, yeah. That's yeah. It kind of takes us back to Jimmy Duresta, man. He's, like, he's the like the the godfather of make a little bit of everything. That's cool. All right, Mark Moore Designs. Yes. I like it. Right. Um, and all Mark of these, uh, all, all these recommendations will be in the show notes. So if you guys are interested, in check that out. And I'll put links to everybody in the show notes. All right, Brian. Well. Thank you so much for coming on, man. This is, it's a blast. It's so funny. I feel like, um, I feel like we've had way more conversations than we have because you've got a YouTube <laughs> channel and you've got your podcast and I'm always listening and I think vice versa, you know, it's like, this is the second time we did your podcast a couple months ago and then now you're on ours. It's like the second real actual conversation we've had with you, but I just feel like I know you much better. So it's been awesome. You man. guys do feel like family. I'll tell you that. And after listening to your podcast, it's even more eerie how similar we all are and i yeah. i love listening to you guys and your brothers and it's it's such a pleasure to know you and to work alongside of you with the makery network and yeah. um i can't wait to do more man for sure i appreciate yeah, you both yeah Absolutely. you too work uh see maybe that'll be the thing maybe it'll be some type of makery fest everyone on the makery yeah. network will all get together more we'll, yeah. we'll have a thing that'd be very cool um cool uh, yeah, Brian, one more time. Tell us where we can find you. You can find me on Instagram at house underscore underscore work, two underscores between those words. You can find me on YouTube if you just type in house work, uh, two words, uh, or you can find me there. Or you can go to my website, housemade.us. 
All right. There you go. And, uh, you know, you can all, you can find us and I'm sure if you've found us on the make green network, you found Brian's podcast work for it as well as all the awesome other makers on the, on the make green network. We really appreciate everything that's been, uh, opened up for all of us and, uh, just such a, such a cool community. So thanks everybody so much for listening. Um, go check out Brian on his channel, check us out over on YouTube and we will talk to you guys next time. If you like this show, take a look at our other shows made for makers just like you at www.makery.network. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.